HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN and podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cutting the Curd on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Joe Salonia. Today, we have two guests here in person at the HRN studio here in Bushwick. We have Kat Piquet, who is the purchasing manager at Murray's Cheese, and we have Amelia Dalbero, who is the sales and marketing manager for Formaticum Professional Grade Cheese Storage and Serving Products. Both are astute certified cheese professionals and have paved their own way in their careers as cheesemongers and beyond in a short span of time. Kat and Amelia, welcome to Cutting the Curd. Thank you for having us. Hey, Joe, thanks for having us. You know, it is a pleasure to be here. We're in person, by the way. For those listening, it's not always the case. Sometimes we're recording remotely. So I'm so happy to have both of you here in person, in real life. And I want to know... IRL. Yeah, IRL. IRL. (laughs) So I want to know what you've both been up to. It's been so busy lately for everyone. Our listeners are buckling down. It's Q4. Uh, Thanksgiving has just, uh, Thanksgiving weed, uh, weekend had just passed. Hol- we're in holiday madness mode. Uh, Kat, you work for Murray's in New York. That is correct. Okay. That's a distinction for our friends listening. How would you describe Murray's cheese to someone who may be new and just discovering cheese and maybe they've never even been to New York? What, what's your day-to-day role at Murray's, first of all? First of all, uh, day-to-day role. I guess as an overview of my role, uh, I am the purchasing manager. So I oversee, we are in a special position where we direct import from France. So a large part of my job is spent overseeing those imports and just making sure it gets from uh, Paris to New York. Hmm. And that all comes as expected. Okay. Uh, No big deal. (laughs) Just get it from Paris to New York. Easy. Okay. Easy. And then you're, you're in the lead for that. For Murray's New York. Yes. That sounds I, pretty You know, I'm the, probably the most acquainted with the file system. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and the file system, for those who are listening, what, what is the file system? So what? you get 52 files a year. Uh, each file corresponds to a week. So file 52 is the last file of the year. Right now I am ordering for file 51, which will probably be arriving early, mid-January. 
And so it's, it's November 27th for those listening who may be listening at a later date. And now you're ordering cheese for middle of January for a highly perishable product. Some of it, yeah. some of it is highly perishable. That will spend an undisclosed amount of time on the ocean. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm sure it's not just like one or two cases. You're talking a pretty serious amounts of cheese here. So that's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. For January, I'd actually say those are the orders I'm the most nervous about because I'm not sure just how much we're going to have left over from the holidays and if we're going to sell through what I ordered for the holidays or if we're going to have a lot left over that uh, I need to account for. Uh, so, boy. Yeah. That, so, yeah, you crystal ball batteries never really, uh, they're never running well. So you have to, can't depend on the crystal ball. You it have to kind of. Feels like professional gambling sometimes. <laughs> oh, right. It is professional gambling. Yeah. People and don't so, realize how much of a delicate dance it is to. Highly perishable cheese. good. Yeah. It's coming in on a boat. Yep. yep. It might be here when I think it's going to be here. Or it might not be. And then you have to figure out what to do with it. That's mm-hmm. if everything goes well. There's no storms at sea. There's no strikes. There's not <laughs> yeah. a big traffic jam no at the port. port. It's just as everything's perfectly yeah. done. You're, you're, Sail time should be 10 days uh, from Runji to Newark. Mm-hmm. Um, Runji being that big, giant. French market in Paris mm-hmm. where uh, cheese is traded and organized for outbound orders, right? Um, There's a lot of variables and you have to make them all work in your favor to the best of your ability. Right. So and you would, you would, uh, Amelia, you would, you would order cheese, but in a different manner when you were a cheesemonger. But first, let's back up. I want to, because we do want to hear about that. But how would you explain for the listeners? You're working for Fromaticum now. You were I am, yeah. Formerly, your last position before this job was you were a lead cheesemonger at Green Grape. In yeah, Brooklyn. I was the cheese manager and buyer at uh, Green Grape Provisions in Brooklyn. And what is your role at Fromaticum now? So I'm the sales and marketing manager, um, which is a really big job. Uh, and there is definitely a learning curve coming from the counter, coming from a retail environment. But I'm having a really great time, uh, learning a lot of new skills, and just really thrilled to be taking the next step in my career. Wow. All right. So this is a big dif- big shift for you. Definitely. Um, yeah. d- whole different role. But you also are dealing with, are, do you have to deal with this uh, time frame too? Or, I mean, oh, you're yeah. Doing, okay. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, so for those who don't know, Formatica is a cheese paper and packaging company, and we are the company that is responsible for keeping all of your beautiful cheeses, uh, looking and tasting fresh behind the counter, and also sometimes in your grab and goes. Um, and if you were aware, most of our product does come from overseas. So we're getting a lot of paper from France and Italy and Germany. Okay. Um, we also sell knives and other packaging products. So just like we are dealing with um, any type of delays or like importing problems and, and congestion and things like that. Um, with cheese, we're dealing with the same things with paper because they're all on, they're all on containers. They're, they're all making, the same they're, they'll right? get here, we're they'll all get here eventually. Boat. We're all yeah. literally yeah. in the same It's been boat. my favorite yeah. phrase. Yeah, yeah, it really <laughs> um, does apply. Then that was part of the job that was actually really appealing to me because I've always been fascinated with logistics. Um, so this was definitely a good opportunity for me to kind of dip my toe into that proverbial see <laughs> logistics is such a massive thing so yeah. so even though maybe you're at this point in time in your current role amelia you're not dealing with the perishable element cat i am is, not but you're familiar enough and sensitive to it that you uh but your product actually can help maybe extend the yeah, life for, at least for the consumer or maybe you know for the cheese counter absolutely etc how, how, how cheese care which is part of the theme i want to get into i want to i want to get into um a kind of an overarching theme of on cheesemonger's influence in general on on the topics we're going to, just a few topics in the short time that we're here today, get into. Um, 
but you know what with the role of what a, of a of what a cheese professional plays in even for instance like the cheese life cycle and understanding mm -hmm. the logistics which is a major part um, you know is cheese care the biggest part or feeling your responsibility to cheese makers the vital, vital part so Amelia now that you're working for a company that, that sells cheese wrap made to extend the cheese's life what, what do you think or what is that what inspired the creation of the company Formaticum and or how, how has the passion for cheese influenced this company? So the company was founded by uh, Mark Goldman, um, and he had spent a little bit of time working in cheese in the United States and then traveled to France and saw that the cheese culture there was so different than um, what is what was happening here in the United States. And one of the things he noticed was that they were using professional cheese paper and other types of packaging to really preserve the life and the, and the flavor and the freshness of the cheeses. So um, that is what inspired him to start importing those products here in the United States and, and basically sharing that part of European cheese culture with the United States and, and have, giving the shops in the country access to that part of it. Um, right now, for me, I'm really excited to be working with this company because if you know me or you knew me and um, in the Green Grape, something that I was always um, something that I always prided myself on was having cheese in my case that was always in great condition. I was taking care of it on a daily basis. This is cheese care is something that sometimes can be a little bit of an afterthought um, for some mongers. And it really can't be because, as we all know, cheese is a living product. So it is something that really needs to be babied. Um, I always mm -hmm. joke that uh, my cheeses, in my case, are the closest thing I'll ever have to real children. <laughs> um, sorry, Mom. And yeah. um, so that was something that I was always really fascinated with. I always used Formaticum products at the Green Grape. Um, and when the opportunity for this job came along, I really jumped on it because it was it's an educational opportunity as well. What we're doing is we are committed to educating consumers and also um, cheese professionals about the benefits of making small changes like using professional cheese paper or using um, our cheese storage bags in your own home and how that can help positively affect your cheese. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's it really goes deeper than that. Um, Cheesemongering is a really big job. And it's a lot bigger than some cheesemongers realize, especially if you're just getting started in the industry. When you really take a look at the big picture, um, it is how do I how do I say this like in a way that isn't very dramatic? Um, you as a cheesemonger are the mouthpiece and the steward and the storyteller for these cheesemakers and these entrepreneurs who have been making these cheeses to support their families and their local economies sometimes for hundreds of years. And sometimes we don't really think about that. And to think about the effect that we have and the role that we play in the life cycle of these cheeses mm -hmm. on a larger scale is incredibly humbling. And something that gets overlooked a lot of the time is we're going to sell the cheese at our counter. We're going to send it home with the customer and that's it. We're, yeah. that's it. We're done here. And what we're doing with Formaticum paper is we are preserving the flavor of that cheese for when the customer actually gets to it. Um, Cause sometimes they don't eat it right away mm -hmm. um, or they're going to eat some of it and they're not going to finish it, you know, in, in within the first day of them buying it. So we want to make sure that 
any time your customer is eating that cheese, they're tasting it in peak condition. And that is doing a service to every person who had their hands on that cheese in every part of the process, from milking the cow to cleaning the vat to aging the cheese, to building the pallets, to delivering the cheese to the cheese shops. Every single person in this cycle is as important as the next. And preserving the flavor is a way to honor every single person who put in that hard work. It's something so simple. It's getting the cheese wrapped well with with the right product. Mm -hmm. Kat, you you were a cheesemonger uh, right before this role, uh, not too long before this role. And you were at Two, pl- two spots, Bedford Cheese, yeah. BBC Cheese Co. So I worked at Bedford and Alphabet yeah. City Beer Co. Okay. Um, and and, and, that, and was, did you have access to Formaticum then? Did you, was Cheese Care emphasized in those shops? Formaticum you- was one of my favorite things to sell when I was at Bedford and doing a cut to order because it was just such an easy thing to sell to customers. Mm-hmm. And it's a nice way of kind of extending that professional influence into the home of oh, a that's customer a good point right there mm-hmm. you Definitely. know like because people would always ask hey how long is this going to last in my fridge and you have that moment of yeah. well if you wrap it in saran wrap it'll last you know a week or so depending on the cheese but if you have you know these special papers or bags you can really extend that lifetime and you can buy a little bit more i mean my advice was always buy as little as you need mm-hmm. for that moment and just buy frequently buy less cheese more often yeah wouldn't yeah that definitely be nice? but especially you know <laughs> yeah. when covid happened mm-hmm. and i was working behind the counter people were coming in and buying cheese like it was the end of days and it kind of was yeah i don't know if cheese would have been my priority in that situation <laughs> as a well, customer because they were drinking maybe something fun with yeah. it too yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, or just they didn't have to cook and it was like kind of a quick meal with some yeah. bread and fruit yeah. And yeah. but it was a good things. way to kind of help a really common question that i got yeah. uh was cheese care. Yeah. I love that question you get. How long is this good for? I mean, I know what they mean when they ask it. Yeah. I want to say, hey, in my house, it wouldn't be 45 minutes. Five that minutes <laughs> I eat that thing in a night. And they're like, no, no. I mean, I want to try to make it last as long as possible and just eat four bites a day. Yeah. Can that be, can I, can it go 17 to 21 days? Like my that's kind of what they uh, want to know. You know, yeah. can I Why freeze this? And I'm like, please don't. Oh, please I'm don't begging do you. Yeah. Gosh. But it's such it's such a common question and it it's innocently really asked. Is. It's like and the number two question yeah. you get asked yeah, at cheese right? counters. That and what do you have that's sharp? Yeah. Is this a brief? Sharp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sharp. Yeah, my uncle Louie, everything is about sharp cheese. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Joey, give me something sharp, something with flavor. No, nothing with goats. Do we have the same uncle? I think so. Does he have a son named Frankie? My cousin Frankie? My uncle Louie? <laughs> Listen, I'm Italian-American. I have like 15 Frankies in my family. <laughs> cousin Frankie. He'll, uh, we're going to talk about Cousin Frankie if we get to it um, when it when it comes to, uh, 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 you know, what he likes to eat. Uh, the, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree with Uncle Louie. Um, I just want to bring it back yeah, <laughs> for please. a minute. Um, what I tell people, aside from all of that, like very romantic uh, stuff that I was talking about before about honoring the cheesemakers, when it comes down to it, if you're, you can talk, you can tell a story as, as much as you want. You can tell their stories until your lips fall off. But if your cheese does not look and taste good, you are either not going to make that sale or you're not going to have repeat business. Like at the end of the day, if the cheese tastes good, that's what's going to get that customer to come back into your store. And that's what, that's our main goal, right? Is to create repeat business. You want to do justice to the cheese. Exactly. Sell it as it was intended to be consumed. Exactly. And the more the customer comes back to buy cheese, it's good for you and it's good for the cheese maker. So velocity, good velocity on cheese is also at the counter. Um, You know, um, it will also make it taste better because you're into your next piece quicker absolutely right so if something hangs out too long mm-hmm. 
because of uh, slow movement, then that that is a, that is a, a concern, and, and sometimes that's controlled either by mongering it or pricing mm -hmm. it right or marketing. There's so many factors, but ultimately, I'd like to think the cheesemonger can influence the velocity. Absolutely. I always believe that that's what cheesemongering is, um, and that get, this gets back to some of the tenets I'm trying to uh, you know we want to we want to touch on here the cheesemonger's influence. But I want to even Pull the, pull the lens back a little bit more. Um, you've both now been in cheese for, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you've both been in cheese around the same amount of time, six, seven years and counting. Somewhere around there, yeah. say. Mm -hmm. And you've come, you, you've come so far in that, I think that's a short span of time, personally, um, in that time. So, but what, would, what do you wish you knew before you got into the industry? Kat, we'll go to you first on that one. Huh. You know, there's not a lot of things that I look back on in the early days of when I was working in cheese where I'm like, ah, I wish I did that differently. Uh, I mean, I got into cheese because I got out of something else, which was planning to, you know, be a lawyer. And so honestly, I was just kind of shooting from the hip in the early days and just <laughs> kind of, I mean, I got into it because I wanted to do something I cared about and that I felt passionately about. And I kind of just let that guide me. And so I'd say, you know, for anyone getting into it, yeah, if you're in it for the right reasons, I don't know who's in it for wrong reasons. I don't know what reasons. <laughs> you know, you're in it for the money. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, you know, you can't just do it for the money. Yeah, yeah. you sell out. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, Amelia and I were talking about this. Fearlessly uh, being friendly. Mm -hmm. mm. You know, well, that's, I, a, that's a nice alliteration even, too. Yeah, mm -hmm. fearless friendliness. Yeah. It never hurts to leave a good impression on someone. Mm -hmm. yeah. And even if you feel... You know, even if you think it's cringe to just go up to someone and say hi, you know, it's not cringe. It's only cringe until it works or it's only cringe if you think <laughs> it's cringe. Mm. But at the worst case scenario, you go up and you're friendly to someone and they're going to walk away and be like, oh, that person was friendly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's the takeaway. You know, there yeah. were definitely some moments in the beginning where I was like, oh, do I want to go say hi to that person? Like, they're so mm. cool. Yeah, say hi to them. You they're, can mess up a lot if you're friendly. Yeah, yeah exactly. You're going to get Absolutely. a lot of forgiveness in that process. You're going to be a jerk. Yeah, this People is what I don't understand. And, and, and sometimes I'll go into some stores and, uh, you know, hey, it's hard. Let's face it, okay? What, what's the day-to-day? -day, there's a lot of work to be done. But to attach unfriendliness into the mix, you're just only making it more difficult for yourself, mm -hmm. I think, yeah. in the end. I uh, always, like, really prided myself on if I'm having a bad day, that's not going to affect my work. Mm -hmm. mm. If I work with you and I'm having a bad day, that's my issue. I'm not going to make it your bad day as well. You know, mm. it's that sort of toxic bad energy. Like I'm just, <clears throat> if anything, I'm just going to be a little less friendly than usual. <laughs> but still friendly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something I, I tell younger mongers who are just starting out, something I tell them a lot is um, <clears throat> this is a very tight knit industry. Yeah. And um, it's a very small industry. And People probably won't remember that you can name every adjunct culture alphabetically, but they are going to remember if you had a positive attitude, what your work ethic is like, um, how you how often you are willing to help other people, things like that. Those those things are, are what's going to set you apart and what people will remember and what your potential employers and future coworkers mm -hmm. will remember about you. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much of it is. Um 
so much of it it, uh, it connects to uh, your attitude and your willingness but but it all comes still comes down to taking care of the cheese mm-hmm. you know if you can take care of the cheese you're going to be more confident in your sale and what you're talking about if you invest time into the cheese get to know the producer understand it become the extension of that story to and connect it to the customer uh, i mean this is this these are sometimes very yeah. much easier said than done when there's when you're receiving orders you have a lot of work to do sometimes you just you know, I, I see I see uh, folks in, in stores. They're just trying. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they just have too much work to do than than do yeah. all the things we're talking about here in this room. But um, but getting back even cat to wait to where you're purchasing now. You're purchasing, uh, you know, pallets of perishable cheese. Um, you're, you're supplying near New York City's Murray's counters. You're 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 also considering online business sales. Maybe you're you're measuring. I'm gonna guess some of this cheese even goes into some restaurants because Mary's sells to. The restaurant oh, yeah. trade, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So you're, um, you're, you're, I guess there's some algorithm where you're measuring that, but this doesn't include Murray's Kroger, correct? No, we uh, it's are. It's a whole different arm. Whole different arm. And, and the reason I bring this up is because I want our listeners to understand that when they hear Murray's, it doesn't always mean Murray's Kroger. It, it's, it's so I'm sure there's a ma- there's a, a distinctive difference between Murray's New York City and Murray's Kroger, but for those listening who may not already know what the difference is what what is the story behind the partnership between Mary's and Kroger how would you just simply yeah set the difference so I've listening? been with Murray's for roughly two years um so I've been with Murray's post Kroger okay um or I guess current Kroger prior to when they integrated okay um and I've been with the company for you know just a really brief part of its long existence uh basically I'm not sure the exact year. I think it was 2012 or so. Uh, Kroger was really interested in bringing in sort of a specialty cheese experience for its customers. And they tested it out by bringing us into a few select stores. Uh, funny how it worked. American consumers were really, really ready for specialty cheese. And so the relationship grew. We're in over, I want to say, 1,100 stores nationwide mm. now. Uh, and, you know, in the beginning, nobody really knew that it was going to expand the way that it did. And it puts us in a really special position to make artisan cheese and trained cheese professionals accessible to more people around the country in a way that's really cool that I can't think of anything else that's comparable. Um, And, you know, after a while, it seemed just like a very natural union for the two, um, seeing how successful it was. And they joined together, I want to say 2017, and they've been you know, Kroger, Father Kroger, as I call it. Uh-huh. Uh, I, we've been together for over a dozen years now. Wow. And I, I'm sure in those stores, I haven't been to more than a, a few over over the years, but I, what I did notice is cheese was in good condition. Mm-hmm. So uh, all this, again, comes back down to, you know, taking care of the cheese and the cheese professionals at those stores, ha- having an influence on on the cheese's life cycle is going to, in, in the, uh, in yeah. the in, have a... Uh, a net result to mm-hmm. what what the experience for the consumer is, and then the, the experience for enjoying that cheese. But is it fair to say that if we see you walking around the fancy food show, you you know don't don't ask any questions to Cat about Kroger. Well, I mean, this just year, leave, leave leave Cat alone. It's, it's this a, past fancy food city, show, uh, they did put Kroger on our badges, so a oh, lot really? of people were coming up and they're like, "Hey, can you ask Rebecca why she hasn't gotten back to me?" I'm like, "I don't, I don't know. Please just let. I'm not important. Just." 
please leave me alone. You're Murray's New York, though, yeah. is the point. Yeah, And, and there's we a are. difference. It's there that is. You operate, now it, you operate separately, though. Yes. Your so Kroger has their yeah. whole, you know, category yeah. managers. Uh, yeah. I believe Brian Bland is the, manages the specialty yeah. cheese and meat category. Right. So it's a whole, a whole different thing. But it all connects back to how cheesemonger and cheese professional are influencing uh, you know, um, the, the, uh, the life cycle of the cheese, the, the, they might even be setting trends, which is something I want to get into next in the second part of our show. So uh, let's just put a pin in that. We're going to need to take a short break, and then I want to dig more into those topics right after a message from our sponsor. This episode is supported by HRN business member selected by Will Studd. Will Studd is the host of Cheese Slices, a unique documentary series about artisan cheese. Over 62 episodes filmed across 20 countries over two decades are a fabulous resource for anyone who loves cheese. Visit willstud.com, that's W-I-L-L-S-T-U-D-D.com, to learn more and to see the hand-selected special range of quality cheeses from Europe. Selected by Will Studd supports HRN's creative, educational reporting and storytelling that drive conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Hi listeners, we wanted to let you know that Heritage Radio Network's Julia Child Fellowship application is now open. The fellowship offers an enriching experience for aspiring food writers and journalists who share our passion for food systems change. The fellowship is a great way to progress in the field of food journalism and digital media, and will start in early January, 2024. This fellowship will provide participants with hands-on experience, mentorship, and access to an extensive network of industry professionals. The application deadline is November 27, 2023. Check out heritageradionetwork.org and click on the Julia Child Foundation Writing Fellowship link to learn more. If you or someone you know has interest in food studies and journalism, this might be a great fit. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and check out the application today. Thank you. Okay, welcome back, everyone. We're here at the HRN studio with Kat Piquet and Amelia DeBarro here on Cutting the Curd in Bushwick, Brooklyn, in person. Okay, question for you both. What do you think is the biggest shift you've seen and cheese pre-pandemic versus now, well, we'll call it post-pandemic. I find myself saying since the pandemic, I think yeah. hopefully, I know we're, there's some new viruses on the rise. <laughs> That's that time But I'm still going to call it's it post, yeah, post-pandemic. Um, you know, what do you think is the biggest shift you've seen? Amelia, you've, you've been pre-during, you had, you had the, from the face mask, you had your, your yep. ears bruised, you've been quoted about it. Uh, well, let's go to you first on that. You've seen it all. You were in the heart of it. Yes, yeah, so I... What's pretty, what do you say here? What's the sh- biggest shift? So I was working behind the counter at Green Grape when um, in March of 2020. Uh, and I think what we saw that was the biggest shift is that people weren't going out to eat. They weren't spending money on that. They weren't... They were staying at home and they had to cook for themselves and they had to figure out how to feed themselves um, without the assistance of the people who worked in professional kitchens, um, which for some people apparently was a new thing. Um, not for me, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but, uh, what we saw was that people were craving some sort of, uh, comfort and they were craving, um, some sort of 
little treat, let's call it. Like mm, right. there was a like a, there yeah. was a, I love there a little a, treat. I love a little treat. There was yeah. a, there was a trend going around about the, the little treat. Um, and so people had a little bit more money to spend because they weren't eating out all the time. And they also had access to more, I guess, more knowledge than they more free than, time to learn. Yeah. They had more free time to learn, but they also had more, more access to, knowledge about specialty food than they had in the past because concurrently what was happening was the explosion of the the charcuterie board trend on the internet the charcuterie board. Um, and there yep. were a lot of different um mm. like viral recipes involving cheese that were happening at that point yeah and so like the, people, feta, the feta tomato oh my oh god, god. Uh, i sold i think that was six, my vietnam war yeah i sold six wow. times more feta in that like two week period than i would have otherwise yeah. i looked at the numbers that was absolutely insane i never made that you make it you make that no i actually <laughs> never made it i mean i roasted tomatoes <laughs> uh, you know i i i've made i'm, I made sure, it was, sauce I'm sure it was delicious I'm but sure, I, yeah. I was working like 16 hours i kind of could appreciate the uh the, 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 I, yeah i could kind of appreciate why it's inoffensive like, it's like, gonna be good yeah, yeah. i mean I, when i saw the videos i'm like <laughs> I'm like, eh, it's okay, you know. Like, yeah, I, I I'm. I'm, I'm sure I've seen it worse on okay the internet. I've seen way worse things. Way worse. But yeah. basically, what was happening is people had money to spend and they had time to kill, and um, they were learning more about different artisan cheeses and charcuterie on the internet because the charcuterie trend um, was was in full effect. Yeah. And so, what, what I personally saw working the counter for eight, ten, twelve hours a day is that people were willing to try new things mm. and they were willing to splurge on things. Mm. Um, in pursuit of that feeling of comfort in, yeah. in the home. Um, and that also opened up the conversation between cheesemonger and consumer, which was awesome because people had time to spend with us tasting new cheeses, hearing us tell the stories, asking us questions that they may not have had the time or the desire to ask previously. Yeah. And that created new favorites. And so they, a, a lot of my customers and, and my regulars, the old regulars and new regulars that I created during the pandemic, they now have a new appreciation for artisan cheese. And they understand that it's absolutely worth the money. And you, you know, something I like to say is you, you vote with your dollar. Um, so spending a little bit of extra money on real deal Gruyere is ultimately going to be beneficial to the consumer. It's going to be beneficial to the small businesses that you buy it from. It's going to be beneficial to uh, people like you, um, people like Gormino, and the, it's going to be beneficial to the cheesemakers. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like there's really no downside to buying something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a lot of the conversation that I was able to have behind the counter with these people who we had people that were coming from New Jersey to buy cheese from us. And we also had a, an e-com site that what that launched during the pandemic. So it, it really extended the reach of cheesemongers. I know that there were some business that had like a, like a phone a monger line. Oh, where, right. yes. Yeah. I, I, I forget that. who that yeah. was. If it was you, I love that I think idea. It was, uh, was it Curds and Co? And, Maybe. Yeah. And, and, and where uh, you could like call up and talk to a cheesemonger and ask all of your burning questions. Yeah. And uh-huh. I loved that idea. So yeah, I mean, that's such a great idea yeah. in general. It's a great like idea. A kind of cheese concierge. Yeah. Kind of like helper. Yeah. You know, hot if you're American Express Platinum, you can get access <laughs> yeah. to a 24 yeah. 7 cheese con. Yeah, that should be one of the perks for one of those platinum cards. It Why was definitely the silver lining to an otherwise absolutely horrible situation. Yeah. And I'm not trying yeah. I'm not trying to no, minimize right. how bad it really was. No, um, we had to have some kind of little reward at the end of our dark days. Little treat. A little yeah. treat. A little treat. That's, That's what treat. it comes down to. It was a little treat. Yeah. 
and it was all, a little treat with big benefits. And 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 so, do you think that carried through? Then is that what you're saying? Like, oh, like absolutely. The, is that the shift that is now? So now we're still talking about charcuterie boards, and this is kind of how it was really emphasized and, mm-hmm. and kind of uh, became a bigger deal. Kat, do you do you uh, does any of that resonate? Do you see it different? Because you were you were uh, uh, with you were with Murray's during this this time, right? No, no, I started Murray's uh, January twenty two. Oh, January twenty two. Okay. I, so do you still feel uh, uh, you know you still must have a sense of some kind of lasting effect. Yeah, I would agree. I think consumers have become a lot more conscious um, of where they want their money to go. You could spend it on the Gruyere from Wisconsin, or you could spend it on Gruyere from Joe. Okay. Hey, Gruyere uh, from Wisconsin being, being is like Gruyere still A-O-P. great. Yes. Yeah, no, no, Gruyere from Wisconsin. I'm not knocking Gruyere from Wisconsin. And I mean, that, let's I mean, just make the distinction. Leg like Gruyere AOP <laughs> is what we're talking about. Gruyere it's, style, it's, we should say. Yeah, that's the real, that's the authentic from Switzerland, Western yep. Switzerland. Leg like Gruyere AOP. Let, let the consumer hear it, at least. I mean, yeah. for me personally, I switched over from, you know, grocery shopping whenever I just needed groceries to going to the farmer's market every single week and getting, if not all of my groceries from the farmer's market, at least mm-hmm. 80, 90% of them, just because it was more enjoyable experience than yeah. waiting online for the Whole Foods to go inside of it. Absolutely. And that habit has stuck with me. I still, you know, love, I go to the farmer's market now two times a week, God. And I love seeing your big vegetables posts. I have so many vegetables. Yeah, you do. I, you buy some pretty colossal sized vegetables. Every time I see a big vegetable, them. I Sweet think potatoes. of you. But a big carrot, I can't say no. I mean, <laughs> I got a, a carrot. carrot. I got a carrot last year that was two and a half pounds. That's a big carrot. A big, one carrot. One carrot. Single carrot. I treated it like yeah. a pot roast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that I mean, nice. I've seen that carry over for myself. Like an asabuco. Yeah. Yeah. And, Cook it right uh, next to an asabuco. Butchery. I'm sorry. Oh, no, but I was just, you know, wrap that up by saying, like, you know, I've become more conscious. I, it's more enjoyable mm-hmm. to buy from an artisan cheese shop, to buy from a farmer's market, to buy from, uh, you know, whole animal butchery establishment. Yeah. yeah. And. I would think any shop that sold produce, cheese, and butchery was killing it, right? Mm-hmm. And then. To this it, day, at I Green still... Rip, it was like the day before Thanksgiving uh-huh. every single day for like a solid two months. Wow. It was absolutely wild. I think that for me personally, and I don't think I'm unique, that's carried over for me. I'm eating, I, I'm a little more picky about buying the meat from the butcher now. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, and that carried over for me. You live in my hope... neighborhood now. We have the same butcher shop now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so we, So that's hopefully meaning that there's some small trend going back to the mom and pop, mm-hmm. butcher shop, independent grocer, independent cheese shop, in, basically independent business. People are definitely shopping and, and more importantly, eating with intention these mm. days. Yeah. That's probably a better way to put yeah. it over. Yeah, over it's, I think mm-hmm. I've been a lot more intentional yeah. though about my buying habits. Yes. And if it's just, I mean, if you could connect good dots, if it's good um, and if it's flavorful and, and, and you can kind of draw a line to who made it, Mm-hmm. Um, that's right. right Traceability too. is is yeah. a huge thing these days. So, do we see a trend here? Like, what's what's the trend you see happening? Cat, is it is it charcuterie boards? Is it is it what's the takeaway for you? Is it because um, I have a lot of 
I have an opinion about charcuterie boards personally, but like, what do you? I I mean, trends for me, especially since the pandemic, I've noticed a lot of stuff has been more content focused. Mm -hmm. So if it looks good in a picture or Ooh. it's a fun little video that comes together, regardless of yeah. how good the outcome is. A lot of stunt food happens. Yes. Yeah, cheese porn. <laughs> yeah. Cheese porn. Kind yeah. Of idea. Like, are you allowed to say that? Yeah, this is, this is we're, yeah, we're all right. That's like PG-13, I think we could say. You know, that's been an interesting shift because I think it's great. It's exposing a lot mm -hmm. more people to cheese that they have to seek out from specialty, right. you know, grocers. Uh, on the other hand, can I, I can't curse. I, I don't know. I don't know the rules. I, you just go for it. They'll edit it out if it's a problem. What the fuck <laughs> is, what the fuck is a whipped brie? Are you kidding me? Whipped brie, huh? Why? Yeah, why? <laughs> if it, oh, good runny brie is all you need. Why you got to whip it? Yeah, I mean, the, whip, good brie, the brie was doing just fine. We still have a lot of, we have a lot of work to do in terms of cheese education. We have come a long way and we've been doing, we've been fighting the good fight, but clearly we still have some work to do. Well, I report those videos and that's me fighting the good fight. No, I don't. I don't. I, if there's one, so we mentioned charcuterie boards. This word has been hijacked. Yeah. Like I went to culinary, culinary school, culinary, depending on your vernacular. <laughs> okay. I went to culinary school a long time ago. Charcuterie was a class. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, it was a French word. Cured meats. Yeah, it was a word where you learn how to make force meats. You'd cure, you'd cure uh, duck breast. You'd make sausage. You'd make pâté, pâté and croup. It was nothing but meat. Yeah. It has turned into where you can have gingerbread cookies and gumdrops mm -hmm. on, a, yes. a, on a board and call it a cheese charcuterie. Or, this or is call a it hot a, topic, a cookie. Joe. Yeah, done. We All need right. to have an entire episode but just about debating We, we do. That could be an episode unto itself. But yes. like, but what I, if I, and I want you to expound on this. I want to mm -hmm. hear see if this resonates with you. My wish is that the charcuterie board would be broken out, meaning... Because charcuterie board forces you to think about who's coming to my party and who don't I want to offend with this really stinky cheese that I love and I know is amazing, but I can't get it because cousin Frankie, who's Uncle Louie's <laughs> son, likes cheese. He eats more than the sharp provolone that my Uncle Louie eats, but he, you know, he might only go as far as some big brands with the, with the soft runny cheeses. Meanwhile, you got this beautiful funky cheese from just name anywhere, USA or France or Italy, wherever. And, and now you're worried about how am I going to compose this board with five cheeses that get along under this mm -hmm. kind of preempted umbrella trying to please people like Cousin Frankie. Meanwhile, if you do each cheese on its own plate, maybe with checkered cuts, make it look like its own, you know, beautiful orchestration of, you know, like when you see the empirical ham going in a spiral, yeah. this beautiful... Um, what do, you, what do you call it? You that? let them all shine individually. I think asking Uncle Louie to do dressage is is asking a lot. <laughs> but Uncle Louie just loves food. Uncle Louie will stuff anything in his pile. Don't forget, Uncle Louie will eat anything. Joe, do we anything. have the same family members? Yeah, as long as, he has to, as long as he doesn't have to buy it. See, Uncle Louie. Uncle Louie's easy to please, actually. Just do you also a... have an Uncle Tony? No, I don't have an Uncle Tony. I don't, actually. But Cousin Frankie's... <laughs> is, 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 oh, between Uncle Louie and Cousin Frankie, it's a lot. But I'm I'm saying this this cheese that might be challenging, unique, funky could be on its own plate. You want it to run. You can't let it run on the charcuterie board where you're the cheese and charcuterie board I'll call it, where it's sharing space with nuts, crackers, salumi, right? But on its own board, you can let it run all over the place. Put some crackers in your in your own composed accompaniment and be like, yo, that's the way it's supposed to be over there. It's supposed to be running all over the place on its own plate. Everybody dig mm -hmm. in and they go bananas. I want that to be 
Really? I mean, I've seen it. I'm not, I'm not making it up. It exists, but I want it to be more mainstream. I, I mean, for me with my boards, I've been taking a step back. I used to go all out on just about every board I made. It was like, what do I have in the pantry? How do I build a full charcuterie board that me and my partner will not come finish eating because it's two of us and I'm building a crazy board. I've taken a step back and it's now just been really simple Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it has been just not putting a jam for the sake of having a jam to take up space, but putting a jam with the intention of it. It's going to taste good with this. I have it. It's going to taste good with the cheese I'm putting out. And if I don't have a jam that's going to work, I'm just not putting out a jam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I want to keep everything on the board. And especially when I'm hosting, I like to keep it all together. Just, I don't want the applause to feel left out. And <laughs> I I think it looks also more inviting for people who may not otherwise be interested in trying something that's a little bit out of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. You know, if they mm-hmm. see it all together, they're try A, B, C. Mm. Oh, well, now I got to try D. And it they might love it. Who knows? I see. A big part of it, I think, is knowing your audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, or and and you know you as hosts you have to kind of I guess express yourself and there's only so far you'll go you, like you said your yeah. audience you you know what you can get away with yeah the cheese that I the cheese board that I make at home with my partner who also works in cheese is going to be infinitely different than the cheese board that I make for Thanksgiving at my mom's house because yes. I know what she likes and I know how adventurous she is um, knowing your audience is a really big part of of hosting and serving and also salesmanship behind the counter you yeah. have to know how to talk to people mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. in order to to make that sale and, and some people want a lot of nitty-gritty information and some people are intimidated by that and um a good salesperson knows how to tell the difference and and how to pivot yeah i still go back to i'd love to see it separate because you know you can play it still in my opinion play it safe if you have a stinky crazy runny cheese it's on some plate cousin frankie he's scared of it he doesn't have to worry about it. He can still go to the firm mm-hmm. cheese that's in a spiral on a plate and then and then hit the fig jam that's over and is stuffed inside of an apple or something. What you're miscalculating is that yeah. I care about Cousin Frankie. Ah, <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay. But also, I, I have a hot take. And uh-huh. my take is it's hot to some and lukewarm to others. Uh-huh. And um, my take is that I don't care what my customer does with the cheese after they have purchased it from me. Um, Mm. They, it is not my place to judge how someone enjoys eating food and how someone chooses to like feed themselves. Mm -hmm. I think that there's definitely opportunities for us as cheese professionals to educate people on like traditional uses and the history of these cheeses and things like that. But at the end of the day, Every cheese is a gateway cheese if you know how to interact with your customer. And even though they're buying, you know, uh, they might be buying a mass produced like commodity cheese today to make, I don't know, brie butter or a charcuterie chalet or something that I don't personally find particularly appealing. They are still spending their money on cheese. And that's an opportunity the next time they come into your shop to say, hey, how did you like that? If you liked this, here's something else you might enjoy. Or what didn't you like about it? Let's try something else. Yeah. Yeah. It That's is, kind. It's always a, an educational opportunity for me personally um, and an opportunity to connect with your customer and help them connect with different cheeses. And at the end of the day, they're spending their money on cheese, which that's that's really what matters. They're spending their money on cheese in your establishment, which, as we talked about before, goes directly back to where we want it to go. I've had people tell me 
some of the most out of bounds things that they have done <laughs> with their cheeses. And the whole time I'm sitting there like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then they finish it up with, and it was so good. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay that's great. Yeah. They're okay. happy. Is the I'm, point. You're right? happy. I'm happy. I'm happy. You're happy. Yeah. And, 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 and I guess there's only so far you can go because we want to maybe, like we talked about influence. How much can you influence and my opinion consumer. is not law. Right. I don't It's condone... well informed, but Yeah, you give them information, let right. them make their own. If yeah. they like decision. it, they like it. I don't condone elitism yeah. in the cheese industry. Yeah. I think it's no. weird and gross. Yeah. And if you do it, then I don't like you. Yeah. And and a no judgment zone is important with uh with, with uh who buys what how. Exactly. Because, because um we're, we're all in the same They're still boat. eating cheese. That's what we want them to do. Sometimes you gotta color outside the lines. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes. Yeah. I've I've done some weird pairings. I did a collaboration with Frito Lay. Um, oh, I remember that. And did you ever do that crap? I dipped flaming hot Cheetos in Harbison, and guess what? Mm. It was Probably not bad. delicious. But oh. some people thought it was delicious. I didn't personally like it. But because it was just too spicy, or you didn't think it went well? I just didn't like it because it was too spicy. Yeah. I can't do spicy. I I too wish I were different. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> But the whole point of the video is that cheese pairings don't have to be. No one's going to arrest they, you. Exactly. They don't. <laughs> they don't have to be some like yeah. fancy like brambleberry fourteen dollar jar traditionally of jam done that was, in like, France, made yeah. from the morning dew of unicorns or whatever. Like, yeah. if it tastes good together and you like it, great. Yeah. That's Perfect. a good pairing. That's, good yeah, for that's, you. That's the it's, that's the I'm, end game right there. One of my main goals as a, a monger and an educator is to make everyone feel comfortable and make everyone feel welcome. Yeah. Um, because cheese is for everyone. Yeah. I like that. And and, and at home, uh, folks buying cheese, maybe that's the way of expressing their, their uh, the extent of what they can pull off in, in a, uh, you know, composing something. You right. Know, you know, it, you know uh, making a cheese board. Uh, or, or a salumi board is is a way of expressing their you know their their food uh, their food um, kind of artistic palette. You know. I love a high low pairing. Listen, I, oh yeah, I I have eaten five year parmigiano wrapped in like thinly sliced culatello. I also dip Nathan's hot dogs in Rush Creek Reserve. Yeah, that sounds so. Good. I will I will die on that hill. I will not be shamed. I like that. I would eat that. I it's totally delicious. I have one in my fridge. Let's let's do that. After okay, this. let's make that happen. Yeah. Um, switching gears quickly. Um, what are your proudest moments? Because you've been in cheese now six, seven years. You're in new roles, but I, I think I think the audience likes to hear these kind of questions. What are your proudest mm. moments behind the cheese counter? Cat, we'll go to you first. Uh, I was thinking about this one. Uh, I did a photo shoot with Anthropology. That was really really cool. It was basically no budget pick out a ton of cheeses mm. that you really love. And I got to put a lot of really cool cheesemakers into the Anthropology uh, catalog. That was a really cool experience. Uh, Anthropology is a home style brand store? Clothing, home goods, mm -hmm. a lot of candles. Yeah, okay. Uh, Real clean, beautiful looking store though. From what They I have a viral mirror. They do. It's they like have a viral lot. $500 mirror. <laughs> Uh, that what did was you really present it? Was it like a, a photo shoot that you presented on a table? Yeah. So they wanted mm -hmm. to uh, display their that season's like homeware collection with ah, cheeses. So cool. they had two cheese professionals, and uh, I got to just pick out some cheeses, uh, and then advise on how to photo. I was with them the day of the shoot. Advise on how to photograph them, how to pair them, and it was just really. So you really have an cool. aesthetic eye, obviously. 
I know it looks Even good. in your normal posts, I notice that when you post about food, you're cooking mm -hmm. something, it's just not just your average take the iPhone out and yeah. shoot a pic. You got yeah. like you got you definitely have a food styling you got you know, it's good food. Yeah. I and I want it to look good uh -huh. in the picture, you know? Yeah. You eat for you eyes feast first. That's true. Phone um, eats first. And another one, I'd say my CCP, I recently okay. got certified. That yeah. was just Glad I didn't. Yeah, get that under the belt. <laughs> that felt yeah, good get getting under the belt. And nice. then my last thing I think I'm most proud of is honestly, it's only been, I mean, it's been less than 10 years, but, I, you know, during the pandemic, it was really challenging and I had a real uh, struggle with faith in working in cheese. I felt really burnt out. I had mm -hmm. been having, uh, you know, just a hard time and, uh, now I'm really, really happy with where I'm at. I love mm -hmm. this job. I couldn't imagine having any other job. Mm -hmm. And I think just being able to kind of work through it and fight through it and hold on to something I feel so passionately about and now be in a position where I can do the work that I've always wanted to do. Um, so I'm really proud of that. You followed your gut and your passions. You fought through it. Well, my gut said sell out and just get a finance job. But uh, <laughs> Right. Your background was... was um... Law. Right, right, and then you you course you you, you made that you course uh, you changed your course based on your uh, hard your passion and interest. Yeah, hard right turn. Yeah, that's really something to note that uh, listeners may not know. You were you went to school really with a different a different intention. Yeah, um, and then you uh, just noticed you loved food and just thought, hey, this could maybe be something. Let me let me check this out, and here yeah. you are, seven years later. Um, Amelia. What's your proudest moment at the counter? Ooh. Um, so most recently, probably the coolest thing that I've ever done, cheese-related, um, was I was selected to work in Giorgio Cravero's booth at Cheese and Bra this year. So I spent four days... Now, Bra, what, in, let's, let's say, let's, for the listeners who may not know, this is talk, we're talking about Italy. Yes. A so, booth in uh, Italy and this cheese, massive cheese <clears> festival. <throat> Yes, yeah, so the biggest cheese festival in the world is held biannually in Bra, in Piemonte, in Italy. Um, and I worked with, um, along with Brian McMillan, who is a wonderful human being, we worked... Shout out to Brian. Shout out to Brian McMillan. <laughs> Down in Alabama. <laughs> um, so we spent a few days working the booth with Giorgio Crevero and his team and his wonderful family. Um, just cutting cheese. We cut about 1,200 pounds of parm with only parm knives. I just want to specify. Oh, wow. We no wires in that booth. No wires. And Giorgio Cabrera, No double handle knives. He's an affineur. He's a, what, yes. How would you describe Giorgio um, So Giorgio is what is known in Italy as a stagionatore, um, which is... Wow, uh, pronunciation. Yeah, you've got a great Italian. Well, you speak... Well, for, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, my college degree is in Italian studies with a concentration in translation. So that's what I was doing before I got into cheese. So, hey, you know, no big deal. No, no. Um, so this opportunity really felt like a very cool culmination of the two things that I have the most passion for professionally, which was Italian language and culture and food specifically and um, cheesemongering. So it was so absolutely amazing to be able to be involved in this festival and be representing my favorite cheese and um, in particular my favorite 
maker, technically. Sagionatore is the Italian word. It's not technically an affinore, mm-hmm. um, but it refers to someone who cares for the cheeses through the seasons mm-hmm. okay. um, and uh, makes sure that whatever that season brings, they are uh, taking care of the cheese accordingly. It's a beautiful word. I hope it gets used more. I don't hear it that much. Yeah, I hope so. I think, like, I think no that... one can pronounce it. I, I, I can't. I'm not going to say that. One more time. Stagionatore. Uh, yeah. um, I think that Jewel actually sent out an, an email with more information about it recently. So I'm hoping that that gets that gets picked up. Um, but that was a very, very cool moment because I was I was cheesemongering, but in Italian, in the metric system. Mm. Um, and I... <laughs> With a two-year-old coin, <laughs> and a two-year-old coin over there too. They're paying cash a lot of times. So yeah, you're yeah. Sell, so you're selling direct to yep. consumers. You're, yep. you're in a booth mm-hmm. for the, again for those who may not know. You're in a booth. It's a festival. It's a big giant food festival. It's hot. It's raining. You're, you're on asphalt. There's no yes. mats. No you're, mats. It's subject to whatever weather or temperature throw, gets thrown your way. That's it. You're exactly. in there. You're in the yep. booth. You have a roof, but that's it. Yep. And if it's hot, if it's cold, if it's rainy, mm-hmm. that's it. Too bad. And um, then you're you're dealing with people just coming up to you. Yep. In, in Italian, Just usually. thousands and thousands of people. Exactly. And then they're throwing 20 euros at you and you might mm-hmm. not have changed. I stuff. have to do math in my head yeah. in euro in Italian. Yeah, the way it's priced. In the metric the system. Yeah. Move the cheese, um, get it sold. And meanwhile, you're cracking open wheels in the booth. As yes. And for anyone who doesn't know, Giorgio's wheels are uh, significantly heavier than some other wheels of farm um, yeah, you might encounter. They generally 85? hover around like 90 to 100 pounds. Oh, wow. Um, so Brian and I were just kind of hauling those around and breaking them open. And I think perhaps my my proudest moment in cheese okay. is when we were situated right next to uh, the Gufanti booth uh-huh. was when one of the guys from Gufanti was watching me break down a wheel of parm and he started recording it and saying wow you're really good at that hey, <laughs> and I was like the Gufanti guy likes my technique <laughs> another great I have I've, there. I've done my job I've yeah. done my job here so in your natural habitat right that there. was um that was very cool because it was a huge challenge um and I I learned a lot I connected with a lot of really cool people and I really really enjoyed that opportunity so thank you so much to Giorgio and to Essex Cheese um, for that opportunity as well. You're expressing yourself, you're connecting, you're yep. learning, you're you're just in your element. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's let's see if we get. I want to. We're getting. We're running out of time. So I just qu- see if we can close out with a quick thing here. Um, what tips or advice would you give then? They, you know, even come springboard off that. What tips or advice would you give to new mongers to excel in their current role, and how they can how how one can determine where they want their career to take them, mm-hmm. what would you, uh, Kat, what would you say? Take every opportunity that comes to you. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if your store is having uh, a maker come by to talk to you about their products, be there. If you, if there's an event at uh, the barnyard, go. Everything that comes your way, take up on it, uh, you know, you're going to meet people. You're going to learn something. And especially with, uh, you know, maker demonstrations, you're going to feel more connected to what you're selling. And I think that, if anything, makes you sell it all that much more passionately. Uh, that's my number one thing just with our mongers is mm-hmm. we're bringing in all these incredible makers. Mm-hmm. And they're taking time out of their day. You should take time out of yours. Yeah. Uh, it's only going to benefit you. You're getting the information direct from the source. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and them coming 
to visit your shop is a, is a huge deal. A lot of the time, if they're coming from Europe or if they're coming from all over the country, um, something that I hear a lot, uh, is cows don't know about Saturdays. Mm. (laughs) Cows have no concept of Saturdays. Mm. So if they're taking time off from making cheese to come in and spend time with you, you should be talking to them as much as possible and getting as much information from them as you possibly can. Cause that is a massive opportunity for it's an opportunity it's not like it's not homework yeah it's not you know you being asked to work off hours it's really really beneficial for Mm -hmm. you to go and just learn I mean I think when I was a monger a couple years ago uh I was like super depressed at one point and just like wearing the same flannel shirt like every day for probably (laughs) three weeks and I was invited to go to a tasting hosted by Parish Hill and I dragged myself out of bed, put on my flannel and black jeans, and I went to that tasting. And now it's like one of the best connections I've really made mm. with a maker. Um, Very refreshing to kind of be in that mode outside the mm-hmm. being from the counter. And yeah. Normal yeah. Work, right. Yeah, yeah. It really refreshes and inspires you. Yeah. It reminds you kind of like, oh, my God, I care so much about this. Like, yeah. I need to learn and like do as much as I can to like continue doing it. Speaking your language. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you get caught up in, in the monotony yeah. of, of retail and it, sometimes you can forget why we do this and, and taking those opportunities, talking to those people and, and seeing the passion in their eyes when they talk to you about their products can really like reignite your passion. If I, I feel that way every year after I go to CMI, um, it's just like a, a really nice reminder of why I love this and why we do this. Yeah, yeah, and CMI is so, such a such a great uh, event to mention because there's so mm-hmm. much of that that inspires and can motivate. What what resources would you advise new cheese people to tap? Mm-hmm. Amelia, you wanna you have one off on that you like to mention? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'll, this is a great segue. I always tell new mongers to participate in CMI. Okay. Um, it is one of the best resources great. that you can give yourself as a new monger because you are you're interacting, you're interfacing directly with producers, with sales reps. You're getting your information straight from the source. But you're also networking. You're learning from other people who are either at your level or above your level. It's a great opportunity to make connections. um, And everyone in that room has something to teach you. Mm -hmm. I never walk into a room without saying there is something that I can learn from someone in this room today. Um, It's a great opportunity to hone your skills, figure out what your weaknesses and your strengths are. Stretch out a little. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're not you're not being judged you're being scored right and the the panel of people who are scoring you are made up of a lot of different people from all walks of life all walks of the industry so you're really getting a holistic picture of what your strengths and strengths and weaknesses are and not only are you able to work on those and improve them for the next cmi but those actually will help you in your job behind the counter Mm. you will find that after you do an event like CMI, you are more passionate about your job. You're trying harder. You, um, you, you have improved in a way that is, is tangible to your coworkers and your boss. So I, I just always tell people to do CMI, even if you, it, you don't do it to win it, yeah. do it to learn. Yeah. It's the best learning opportunity. Um, and then something else I always tell people is to utilize your peers. Mm-hmm. Um, 
something that I personally did when I was looking to make the next step in my career was identifying the parts of the industry that I am most fascinated and interested yeah. in and saying, who do I know that, that does those jobs, seek out those people, ask them how they got there, how they got to their current position, and then use that information to try to make my next move. Mm-hmm. Everything is like very calculated. Everything that I do is very calculated. Yeah. Um, and it is mostly because the people in the, ind- in the cheese industry are very supportive. They want to see you succeed and they're willing to help you get there. Yeah. But, you know, you have to hold up your end of the bargain, too. You yeah. have to be willing to put in the work and learn the skills necessary to get to those positions. Mm-hmm. So it yeah. got, kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. You can't just, yeah. you know, you got to, yeah, you mm-hmm. can't just fake it. No one's going to just give you something. You yeah. kind of got to cut your teeth for a minute. Yeah. So resources are big, though. Um, yeah. Also, they, Chi State University. Chi State University it's incredibly uh, comprehensive. Yeah, and that's and it's a free uh, a resource. Free, I was gonna I'm asking, I'm gonna emphasize that's free. It touches on everything. It's not just Wisconsin cheese. It's the history yeah. of cheese. It's cheese science. It's salesmanship. It's cheese care. It's how to serve cheese. It's a really, really great comprehensive resource that is free from Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin, and I encourage everyone yeah. to get on there. And uh, Daphne Zeppos Teaching Endowment dot org E org is also something that listeners can could apply for. That could also uh, expand their uh, you know their knowledge and, and uh, headspace about what's what's out there. Cheese Science Toolkit. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. that's a website that if you are like me and science is not your strong suit, it breaks cheese science down into um, very easily digestible kind of tidbits. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something that was really helpful for me when I got my CCP. Yeah, so there's stuff out there, you know, and then there even I think Conte has a scholarship. There may be other yeah. AMP or name proprietary name cheese they may follow in mm-hmm. the you know in that kind of same formula. I kind of uh, I kind of can see that happening in the future where other big bigger cheese names may yep. uh, sponsor some work and trips yep. uh, in the coming years. There's a lot of scholarships out there, and I encourage everyone to apply for them. You would you would be surprised how many people don't apply for scholarships because they don't want to write an 800 word essay. Yeah, like, 800 words isn't a lot. It's what, not that much. How many pages is that? What would you say? Like, two three? pages? Yeah, two yeah, pages. Single right? space? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. It's I, nothing. I always tell people to apply, apply for as many scholarships because what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is you don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. And also some wisdom you from... You always learn. Some wisdom from my mom is um, that you are who you hang out with. And she told me that when I was a teenager and that's always stuck with me. Mm. Um, basically... Yep you should align yourself with people that can teach you something that can elevate you that, um, people that you admire. Uh, those are the people that are going to support you through your journey in this industry who are going to help you learn, help you get jobs. Um, it's the, the concept of being fearlessly friendly. It's such a friendly industry. It is. I was such a quiet person in high school who really had a hard time making friends just because I was shy. And now I feel like in cheese, like I've opened that door and realized like everybody's just doing their best and really kind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, I think, made it a lot easier for me to feel comfortable just talking to someone that I don't really know. Because then after that conversation, I'm going to know them, you know? Exactly. Yeah, cheese friends we know are, are the best. <coughs> yeah. Cheese friends make, are the best friends. You know, because we really are all uh, here for for the passion of the work. I mean, yeah. It's, it's, you know, like I mentioned much earlier in the show, cheesemongers are not working for the money. They're working because <laughs> oh, they, well, they, I'm in it for the money. You know, they're, they're, <laughs> 
I'm in it for the money. We do this because we love it. We love it. There's a kind of a joke that you don't consciously get into cheese. You kind of end up in cheese. You major in political science. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, however many years later, you work in yeah. cheese. I also have a theory that most cheesemongers are former theater kids. There's something very performative about cheesemongering that mm. is different than, than working any other type of retail job. So true. Yeah. So true. Yep. That could be its own show yep. right there. Um, but I think we're, we're out of time for today, but th- we could talk forever. So, uh, Kat and Amelia, I just want to say thank you for joining me today in real life on Cutting the Curd to talk about what's going on with both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Joe. No oh, one I'd rather talk to. It's been an honor. Oh, wow. Thank you. We, uh, we'll do it again, I'm sure. We'll do it again sometime in the future. So, all right, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you want to find uh, Kat Piquet on Instagram... Look up cat, at Cat Dreams of Cheese, and you can find Amelia Dalbero on Instagram at mdalbero, and on TikTok at Punk Rock Parmigiano. And you could follow me on Instagram at Sting Chef, and you could follow Cutting the Curd at Cutting the Curd, and also follow Heritage Radio at Heritage underscore Radio. That's a lot of follows we yeah. just said right yeah. there. Pick yeah. one. You're going to have to we'll rewind see. that uh, for those listening. <laughs> uh, so please listen and subscribe to Cutting the Curd via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you enjoy the show, please give us a five-star rating. It will mean so much and also really help us broaden our audience. Okay, everyone, thanks for tuning in. And if you love someone, send them cheese. Yeah, heard, heard. Yes, chef. <laughs> yes, stink chef. <laughs> Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.